0: Welcome to Hearthside Salons, talks and conversations to feed your creative fire. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of PageCraft Writing. Each week we bring you a guest worth listening to. As we cope with a pandemic and wrestle with national and global unrest following the murder of George Floyd, Actor and writer Michael Mack and I sat down to search for a little light. As the first Black Romulan in Star Trek history, Michael's a trailblazer, and he's part of a show that's a cultural touchstone for so many of us. A show that, from its inception, dealt with racial issues in America through the metaphor of sci-fi. Michael asserts that success isn't about what you can get. You have to decide what is your contribution to the craft and to the world, and then live with faith in that in this peculiar and painful moment in american history michael starts by drawing parallels with now and the civil rights marches of 1968
1: i'm okay i want to make sure that 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 in the midst of this yeah. before like launching the stuff about me um I, I, I what's going on in the world uh george floyd um, um i i you asked me earlier, you know, what have I been doing today? You know, just yeah. I, I know polite conversation, but, you know, I've been crying. I've been praying. I've been meditating. I've been um, in my own way dealing with uh, with this. Um, I was only six years old when the riots happened regarding the death of Martin Luther King. But I remember it like it was yesterday. Okay? My dad was such a Dr. King fan. And, you know, me too. Uh, Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. But what's interesting today is how many people of all hues are involved and putting their lives on the line to fight this fight. And I think we just, you know, I just needed to give that its moment. Yeah. The next thing I have to say is, I might be one of your favorite clients, but you are my favorite script consultant, script coach of all time. And I've been at this for 40 years. so i mean so so the thing is i mean what i'm saying is is, is it's like i want people out there especially if they're a minority especially if they're a minority okay you're a great coach and you're the person to go to because you not only have education in an academic sense you have em, you have the empathy that is needed to read anybody fairly. And you have extraordinary human intelligence. So, now, we we can be about me if you want to, but I had to say that about you and why I'm doing an interview. Uh, I hate doing interviews, but I'm doing this because you asked me uh, to.
0: Michael, I love you, thank you. And um, I didn't want to start off this thing by crying, but um, but thank you, I'm very humbled.
1: This is Enough. this is the moment to cry. This is the yeah. time, you know, to just be real, right? Yeah. That that's what this time is about. Yeah. So God bless you. God bless you. Go ahead. All right. What, Thank you. All right. it's, well, it's your show again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys get why I love Michael. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, so we started where I met you because we started working on one of your scripts, which I found really inspiring and challenging because it's exactly dealing with all the stuff that we're dealing with right now. Um, So, you know, it's very prescient and also reflective because it's not like it's anything new. Um, So that's been just a pleasure to work on. And as I got to know you and you started to tell me about your history and everything you're training and everything you've gone through in your career, I'm, you know, I just thought this is so exciting. We need to share.
1: So- And, and the thing is, is like, if, if I went on too much about myself, forgive me, but the point was was like, in relation to the script, you know, the idea was, you know, why these characters, right? Because these characters have, I hope, I think, characters have a degree of originality you know the situations are a bit you know i mean they're not typical right yeah so you know so it's like that's how we got into my life and and um i'm i'm humbled that you're interested in sharing uh go ahead
0: We'll just be uh, the mutual uh, mutual compliment society all night here. Otherwise, there we
1: go. There we Talk go. Talk
0: to me about you, you and your brother watching the original Star Trek as kids.
1: My brother, who died in April of this year, yeah, and I miss terribly. But you brought up a wonderful memory. I mean, he was eight years older than me. Okay. And it was like, you know, you're my little brother. I'm not going to do anything with you. <laughs> I'm not going to have anything to do with you. But here was this, you know, wacky show called Star Trek. And my brother and I are polar opposites, right? You know, you and I sometimes talk about tech, right? He was the high tech guy. I'm like, how do I plug this in? You know, <laughs> right? You know, and for whatever reason, he said, Michael, you've got to watch this show. I mean, this was the one thing, you know, we go to, we go to the public swimming pool. He'd play with other kids and not me. Oh. No, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. Okay.
0: I did that to my little sister too. I get that. But
1: bad, bad, bad. <laughs> but, he, but, he, <laughs> but I mean, he, this thing, he goes, you've got to see this. You've got to watch it. So it was the one thing we could do together. I love it. And I was fascinated by the show from the very moment that I saw it. So, yes, there we go.
0: So Uh, then what brought you out to Los Angeles? (laughs) Chasing the dream like so many before you. Well,
1: it... it, it. (laughs) i know we only, i know we only have 40 minutes but the thing is it's a little richer right
0: well go um, fill in the blanks
1: no 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 well i mean here's the thing okay so i grew up on this show and i grew up in the arts right and um you know you're you're in high school i was at the duke linden school of the arts for the time at the time and uh you need a job you know so i i get a job as a as an usher in a movie theater there was a studio, uh, this chain called the KB Theaters. So KB Studio 123 is um, like the second job I've had in my life, right? So I'm working at the KB Studio 123 and the manager comes over to me and he goes, I know you're interested in being an actor. I said, yeah. He goes, well, Star Trek, the motion picture is opening at the KB MacArthur. Would you like to work the world premiere? <laughs> yes! you know, and <laughs> I mean, I'm there with William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, Michelle, uh, the, all the original, this is the world premiere. Okay, th- th- wow. this is not just the opening night of KB handling it. The world premiere was at the KB MacArthur, which unfortunately right now is a CBS. Oh. Or a parking lot. I can't remember which. And William Shatner that night said, We're amazed that the film is dry. <laughs> right. I mean, it was it was that recently.
0: Wow. You know,
1: the final cut was that recent. Yeah. Okay. They hadn't seen it. They were all there. They were all there to see it. I was there. Star Trek has just become this thing of my life.
0: Yes, it certainly has.
1: I've been involved in the DC theater scene. For a very, 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 very long time. And uh, I mean, I mean, you know, I I, I mean, I started in DC theater when I was 14, 15. Okay, I, I mean, I'm, I mean paying work, you know, in yeah. theaters. Okay. Um, I studied at the um, Duke Ellington School for the Arts and the Maryland Academy of Dramatic Arts at the same time. Wow. All right. This was my dream. It's what Mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And, uh, but in terms of professional theater, you know, the offerings were like, you know, Homeboy Jones, you know, N word number three. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it, it just, it was so far behind. Sure. In my view, okay, where I wanted to be, anything that that related to me, okay, that I could relate to organically, all right? Didn't want to do stereotypes. Uh, And for me, it would have been stereotypes, okay? Sure. So I said, I'm going to learn how to write. I wrote some plays that got, you know, when I was in high school, I wrote some plays that got staged readings. They didn't get full productions. So okay, well, you know, all right, so it was like in the late nineteen eighties that I went, Wanna well, learn how to write a screenplay? Any books out there about writing a screenplay? Oh, Sidfield has has three books. I read all three in one sitting.
0: Oh my
1: God. <laughs> I'm not kidding I
0: believe. I read you all three it. in
1: one sitting. And I started my first screenplay. and so i had a screenplay and then a, a, a very bright friend <laughs> said now why don't you go to uh the writer center in bethesda maryland
0: so i've written a
1: screenplay yeah. no 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 no, no. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's not about writing the script now now it's about who you might meet Mm. And there was the late, great Dr. Richard Blum, who had been an executive at Columbia Pictures. And he was head of the screenwriting department at Maryland University. And he's just like doing this thing, doing his thing at the Writer Center, right? So I'm I'm in his class. He sings samples of my work as he sings samples of everybody's work. And one day he goes, You got something. Here's what I want you to do Enter the Nickel Fellowship, do well. What? (laughs) Enter the Nickel Fellowship, do well. And then write Star Trek Next Generation, because they are the friendliest writers're the, 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 the friendliest of all shows to outside writers. Oh. and good luck. Just that simple. <laughs> well, it was to me at the time. I mean i didn't I didn't know to be I, <laughs> I didn't know to be flabbergasted at the time. you know okay, that's what you do. okay, fine. So. I entered the nickel, I was a quarter-finalist, I placed. And I, I, this was, this was a screenplay. This was a historical drama about Matt Turner, a slave rebellion, okay. Wow,
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Right, but, so I get the letter from the nickel that's got the little Oscar in the corner. I submit that with my cover letter to Star Trek. One year later, you got a job. Come on out, be a writing intern. Wow. (laughs) That's how it happened.
0: That's amazing. So now you're in the writer's room with all the next generation, Star Trek Uh, next generation writers.
1: With the great Star Trek next generation writer. With Brandon Braga ronald d moore renee Echevarria, (laughs) and jerry taylor okay who who was executive producer at that time of an extraordinary lady and she's got this incredible vocabulary when it comes to film and television and theater and human rights issues Okay. This is a this is a white woman who would walk into script meetings with stacks of statistics this thick to keep Star Trek as diversified as possible.
0: Well that's an one extraordinary of the- person. Yeah, that's one of the most amazing things about the show always is that it's able to address current issues as, such as inequalities through a lens of, well, if it's space aliens on another uh, planet, we we can talk about it without talking about it and get, and get I, people to think about it.
1: I got that as a kid when the original series was new, that, that it's not talking about outer space. It's talking about yeah. us.
0: Yeah, it's, it's that's what's us, the brilliance, I think.
1: You know. And Jerry was just like, she's just extraordinary when it comes to that stuff.
0: What do you think is like the most amazing lesson that you took from that writer's room?
1: Oh, God. Um, For the writers that I hope come to you, I wanna say this, your ideas matter your ideas are important don't ever 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 think that just because somebody has shut you down here or shut you down there or shut you down even for decades don't ever think that your ideas aren't important because they are as a writing intern i could not write an episode but I could contribute ideas to the episodes and it was the last season of next generation seven season seven last season why did next generation end because quite frankly in terms of what was said to me they didn't have anything new to do with the characters. Yeah. And I mean, when you're ingenious enough to give them Q and give them the Borg and, you know, all the things, you know, it's like, well, really, what else could you do? And I didn't come up with new, great technology. But I did contribute a few character things that at least gave new directions to some of the relationships
0: oh great do you remember any of them specifically um or are you not allowed to reveal <laughs> <laughs> let
1: me put it this way there is something that i would love to say but if those guys remember it differently i don't want uh the way to that but but the one thing
0: I'll get that answer later.
1: <laughs> the one thing, right, right. You'll get the, you'll get the answer later, but I'm not going to say it on the podcast. But the one thing that I can discuss without any problem is that we were working on an episode called The Pegasus. And Jerry Taylor told me, she told me in the my first week as an intern, she recognized uh, from my resume that, uh, that I was a writer and an actor with a Shakespearean background that I had, you know, been with the F- Folger Shakespeare Libraries Touring Company for three years. And she she said, since you've done Shakespeare. She said, the other things don't matter to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You've done Shakespeare with the Folger. Yeah, that matters. She goes. While you're an intern, if there's any role that you would be interested in auditioning for, let me know. Roles come by. I mean, you're an intern for six weeks—only six weeks, okay? You, know, and, you, you know, and the money ain't great, you know? and so you know you're doing everything you can to survive. During these six weeks, right? So, the weeks are going by. And there's this part that comes up in an episode. And she goes, would you like to audition for that? And I said, no. And I'll tell you what it was. It was it was uh, parallels. When Warf is going between worlds. And you get that moment where Riker is watching a Riker
0: freak oh, yeah. out
1: on another uh, on another Enterprise, right? Okay, it was the captain on that Enterprise who's freaking out. And uh, it, I mean, it, it's like that long, and it's all about a freak out. There, there's no way you could play that credibly. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: Because it's just a freak out. So I said, no, ma'am, I don't want want that audition. And then we got to the Pegasus episode. And here's this Commander Sorrell. One scene part, a woman. I said, I'd like to audition for this part. She said, well, you're right. That uh, there's no reason why the character has to be female. But we've never had a Black Romulan. I said but remember it took a year for them to reply about my script mm. that year i studied everything that was star trek okay and i said well in star trek five when spock relives his birth the vulcan midwife is black the vulcans and romulans are cousins so you can have a black romulan she said i'll give you an answer in the morning She came back the next day. She said she got your audition.
0: Nice.
1: So I auditioned. just so happened LeVar Burton was the director of that episode. I did my audition. I went back to my writer's cubicle. 45 minutes later, I got a phone call. Jerry Taylor would like to see you in her office. Like, Jesus. You know, like, you know, what? What? Right? You know. So I'm walking across the, the, the complex that is Paramount Pictures Studio lot, and there are people looking at me and whispering, looking at me and whispering. So everybody knows, but I don't know, right? I walk into Jerry Taylor's office, and she says, Michael, congratulations. LeVar Burton lost his mind. <laughs> You are the first Black Romulan in Star Trek history. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: so then, thank you, God, for uh, Ron Moore and Brandon Braga. The one-scene part becomes a two-scene part. Um, the character becomes a little deeper, more mischievous, okay, uh, which I really enjoyed. And then I'm sitting down in a makeup chair. They put on the makeup, <clears throat> The standard Romulan makeup, and I mean it's three hours. Okay, I mean it's three hours of makeup. There's this prosthetic thing they got to put on your head, and you know, you know, like you're sitting there, you got to figure out how to, you know, like I'm trying to move my (laughs) hat, right? It's kind of like how do I raise my eyebrow with this thing? I mean, you got to figure out how to how to move that prosthetic, and uh, so it, it you know it took three hours, and I came out of the the situation looking, in my view, kind of Asian. And I liked it. I thought this was really cool, you know. So we went and we shot him. <clears throat> And Jerry Taylor called me up, you know. I mean, again, it's like you hear from Jerry's assistant. So now you got a conference call with Jerry Taylor the great Jerry Taylor and the great LeVar Burton who <laughs> call you <laughs> in your little one-bedroom apartment. You know I you mean? Know, and it's like, Jesus, okay, fine. All right, you know, did I screw up? No, 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 no. Jerry Taylor says, uh, and I quote, I will not run the risk of offending the African-American community by having the first black Romulan be a black man in white face, close quote. We will shoot it again. Wow. Okay, so now I'm sitting down with the great Mike Westmore who did the makeup for Robert De Niro in Raging Bull.
0: (laughs) Is that all? he
1: is now creating Black Romulan makeup based on my skin tone.
0: Amazing.
1: You know, talk about you know, you know no pressure. You know? <laughs> you know, I mean it's like Jesus, what's going on? Right? And so then LeVar says to me, he goes, Well, Mike, why don't we have some more fun this time? I said, okay, where do you want to (laughs) go? I'll go any place you want to go. And we did a sorrel that was, uh, let's just say, larger. (laughs) Kind of uh, wicked in a Jack Nicholson kind of vein. Okay. (laughs) You know, with a wicked sense of humor, kind of satanic really uh, in that way um and jerry said she found it over the top so we needed to do a third take
0: that's Lasted, that's what
1: you got in the episode but
0: <laughs>
1: but Brandon braga and renee Echevarria took me out to lunch Awesome. Okay, because they went, you did one character, three entirely different ways. We have never seen that before. How the hell did you do it? <laughs> so that's kind of my personal victory. Well, I, mean, I mean, come on, the whole thing. I mean, Star Trek is a dream. You know, the whole thing is just magnificent, right? Yeah, I mean, I just being part of it is magnificent of making Star Trek history. I'm the first writing intern in any Star Trek, in any incarnation of Star Trek, in all of Star Trek history. The first writing intern to ever act on the show, the first black Romulan in all of Star Trek history, and the first writing intern to ever find an idea in a script in their first week, because you know, when, you're, when you're an intern, you read the unsolicited oh, yeah. stuff yeah. that comes in, right? That's yeah. part, of your, part of your job, is script coverage. Sure. And I didn't find a script I could champion, but in my first week there, I did find a wonderful idea in someone else's script. And I pitched very successfully for that writer. Oh, nice. And I was the first writing intern to do that in their first week.
0: Amazing. And then you end up coming not amazing, back. For the, it, no, it is. I mean, <laughs> like, as a writer, it's, it's you know, it's it's, there's a lot of barriers. And so for someone just in their first week like that to then turn around and reach a hand back and say, let me help you. I mean, that's, it's not an everyday thing.
1: And the thing is, when it comes to ideas, you don't have to. Mm-hmm.
0: And then they brought you back for the movie, Generations, just because just they liked you. And they're like, hey, let's get that Michael kid back in here. Well, I
1: had done the audition. <laughs> and David Carson. The director is, is, is very um, he's an Englishman who's very Monty Python ish. And that happens to be my brand of humor, to be honest with you. It turned out to be an evening on a kind of uh dark and rainy night, you know, sort of a gloomy evening. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of going, you know, gee, I I, I you know, I I hope this guy has a sense of humor. Uh well, he 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 he's got an over the top sense of humor. And we just had the grandest time, just, uh, you know, we were, you know, we we took the lines from the script. We did the lines. And then he started improvising, and I started improvising with him, okay? And it just became, you know, the Holy Grail in space, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And we just, like, laughed our butts off. And he goes, I want you on set all week. So even though I play this character who only has one line, he worked it out so that whenever Worf leaves tactical, I cover it. I have one line. And I was on all week.
0: And we should make clear that you weren't playing Cyril in the movie. You were playing Ensign Hayes, right?
1: Ensign Hayes, right, right. A human being with one line. I was the only person. I mean, all these, it, it was such an incredible experience because all of the people on the bridge had worked together for seven years or the better part of. Yeah. Right? Because the regular extras were there. I walk into this situation where I'm supposed to be as regular as everybody else. Mm. And I'm not an extra, they got their own huddle. I'm not one of the stars, they got their own huddle. I'm kind of, you know, a loner in this in a way. I mean, it it feels like it, man. I mean, we've got space battles to prepare for. We've got, you know, big ship shakes to prepare for. I was gonna
0: say, you gotta learn your ship shake. (laughs)
1: Well, and that's the thing. That was the thing, the ship shake, right? Because there's a science to it. Now, this was the first Enterprise bridge, the one that was made or modified for Starfleet Generations, was the first bridge that actually moved. And I thought, you know, as an actor walking into this situation, I thought, well, I guess you should let that be enough, that it moves, you move with it, da-da-da. And, uh, the director didn't say anything to me, Jonathan Fraggs.
0: Just that guy.
1: Love that guy. Jonathan Fraggs comes over to me and he goes, Michael, would you mind a piece of advice? I said, I'm welcome. He goes, here's what happens when a starship gets hit. The vibration is from the feet up. So it's not this. Mm-hmm.
0: Right?
1: I mean, it, that might be all that you see in the shot, but that's not how to play it. The, I mean, organically as an act, right? Yeah. It comes from the feet up. So we're at lunch break. Everybody else has gone off to have lunch. I asked the AD if I could stay on the bridge. He said, I could. I'm practicing this. I'm, I'm working it from the feet up. I'm working it, I'm working it. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get it right, okay? And I think I'm entirely by myself. And then when I decide, okay, all right, I've worked, I mean, I, I'm working this for half an hour by myself. Okay, maybe I should, you know, take a little break and turn around and there's Jonathan Frakes. I wasn't alone. He was watching me and he goes,
0: That was amazing.
1: Great guy. Great guy. Master encourager.
0: You talked to me one time about acting being the only place you could really find focus. Because I was going to ask you, what is it that you love about acting? And can you talk about that?
1: Well, I mean, the thing is, 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 um, what I was trying to say in that conversation is, when I'm on a set, when I'm on a set, whether I'm there as an actor or there as a writer or there or, or there as the director, I just feel my best. Just I feel my best that. on the set.
0: You know? I love being on set, too. I,
1: I, I mean, and I, I, and, you know, and I think about...
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I mean, when I, when I was working Next Generation, you know... Yeah, and these guys were working 16-hour days, okay? And the idea that you could be there on the paramount lot and have a mobile home, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to leave the work if you don't want to. You know, you can just stay in your Winnebago. Yeah. Was like heaven to me. I I mean, what they had. I mean, it was like heaven to me. Um, You ever been
0: on the Paramount Lab? Yeah, I used to work there. I was in Lewis Building.
1: But you know what I'm talking about. Oh,
0: yeah. It's magic. It's It's, magic. It's it's a
1: city. It's a little city. Yeah. You know, you walk down one street and this was a street that you recognize from the untouchables. You walk down, you turn the corner. Here's another street. Oh, this was in the Godfather.
0: I used to get a sandwich from Water Tower Cafe and go sit on one of the stoops on New York Street and just be like, this is amazing, I'm just here. And I'm allowed to just sit here. So then at a certain point, you decide to leave LA and change your life completely. Well, it wasn't
1: changing my life completely. I mean, well, I was with my father when he died in 1993. And then I had a few months to pull everything together and move to L.A. for the internship. So I was in L.A. for three and a half years. I was very fortunate in the, in the sense that I went there with, with work. I mean, regardless of what it paid, that I went there with work in the business. Mm-hmm. And all I did was work in the business, acting and writing. That's so all I did was work in the business. I was very lucky, very fortunate, very blessed. If Star Trek had become what I wanted it to be for me, I would never have left. I wasn't ready, okay? I wasn't ready. I mean, I'm still healing from my father's death. Um, My family was struggling to recover from my father's death, particularly my mom. Hmm. You know, I I mean, after I'd done Star Trek, I, I continued to work, thank God, but I didn't have the enthusiasm for the rest of it that i had for star trek if that makes any sense to you, you can understand
0: yeah that. sure
1: mm-hmm. star trek feels like you're doing something i mean you you know you're not just working for a paycheck you're you're making i mean you're doing something okay yeah. and um so and i enjoyed the other things that i did i mean don't don't get me wrong but i mean what happened was responding to family crisis i left Hollywood geographically. But, you know, let's remember Head of State, The West Wing, The Wire, Homicide, Veep, all those other shows that I've done, all those other films that I've done, um, were shot here right. in the DC area. So right. I continued to do Hollywood work as I was also returning to something that is kind of traditional in my family. And that being outreach ministry. My my mother and father had an outreach ministry that I started helping them with when I was eight years old. I've been feeding homeless people since I was eight. Okay. Found acting at 10. Homeless ministry started when I was eight. Wow. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I, 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 what I decided to do was try to fill in whatever I saw as gaps in myself, grow, mm. grow. So I, I got a college degree. I went to seminary. I traveled. Um, I cared for family. I, uh, I taught, did a lot of teaching. I feel like a lot of gaps have been filled.
0: Yeah. I would you know, say like,
1: like like returning to this full time you know feels to me like the right time. Like you're 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 coming back to it much better informed as a human being if that mm-hmm. makes any sense to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, there's, I have certain scripts and stories that are things I've, I've wanted to tell for a long time, but I knew I wasn't ready. I wasn't developed enough as a human to be able to really get the emotional content of some of these, these things. So I've kind of, at a young age, gave myself permission. I'm like, that's one of the ones you're going to write down the road. Don't worry about it right now. So now I'm like, I think I might be ready.
1: And you, and you you said a very important thing about giving yourself permission, I mean, self-acceptance I think is an incredible, you know, when I felt it was time to leave Hollywood geographic, uh, which, which turned out to be longer than I had intended, but you know, you, you, you know, life, it has its way of informing you.
0: Mm.
1: And as I was on my way out, I mean, why would I do this on my way out? Well, I, seemed right to do i studied with the late great sam christensen who who uh died quite recently he had been the casting director of mass for eight years had mm-hmm. a uh, his own studio where basically what, what you know he said he said that his mission in life two words dispel fear mm. two words wow dispel fear. That's why he opened up a studio for actors, to dispel fear, to help people understand the business that they were in, the business they were entering, the business they wanted to succeed in, um, and to to understand the importance of having a plan, uh, the importance of myth, archetype, the importance of understanding your own archetype. Okay mm. yes, and and that was very important. And he encourages his students, he encouraged his students to teach his methods. And so by teaching other people, whether they were people who wanted to develop careers or people who wanted to develop life skills through
0: mm-hmm.
1: acting, right, or writing or filmmaking, which I also taught that. Ultimately, what happens is you realize that the patient on the table, doctor, is yourself.
0: <laughs> yes. yes. I, in fact, one of my, um, if you ever start a script with me from scratch, one of the things we do. Which I we, want to do. Yeah, we do a, an exercise where we're, it's a character building thing where you're looking at different psychological aspects of your character. but. I have you do it on yourself first, and people. I'll have the time. Where like they finish, they're like, "Oh my god, I didn't know that!" And they're like, "I'm like, yeah, writing is therapy. Like it's free therapy."
1: Well, I mean that—that's what I did. I mean, with with the screenplay that you worked with me on, uh, Full Confession, uh, which is why we're talking about the ministry stuff and mm-hmm. and, and, and so on. Anyways, you know, here's this character that is largely based on me, um, and what i did was uh, the the you know i showed you those washington post articles you know uh, about the work i did with with incarcerated youth and so forth and you know the therapeutic piece of it is that every character needs to be sort of inspired by somebody in your life uh every event in some way or another needs to be inspired by something that um you know, you've seen, done, witnessed, read about, whatever it's, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's gotta come from you. And that's kind of what I did with that whole period was write that script.
0: So a lot of people, I mean, I just find it fascinating that you and you have the roots for it. So that makes more sense that, but that you took this left turn into a clergy into like, like investigating that path for yourself. Um, and then deciding it wasn't for you. I and mean, you, we've talked about some of the reasons why. I don't know if you want to share. Well, I did
1: it to eliminate it. You know, I, 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 I come from a very sort of religious. I mean, when I say religious, I mean a Pentecostal family. Okay. There are certain things that are drummed into you from day one. Well, no, no. I mean, from, from there are things that are drummed into you from the womb (laughs) okay right and and so that's why i kind of did this uh independent study of religion you know which i did on my own for like 20 years and so the question then becomes you take a look at your skill set okay you take a look at your possibilities you take a look at your inclinations and you go, I got to settle it once and for all. What's me and what's them, what's mine and what's conditioning. Conditioning. Do you understand? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, I know some people who wrestle with this. As a guy who's ministered to dying people, I know some people who wrestle with this till their dying day. Part of this was settling it for myself and going to seminary for one semester, did it. Wow. I am spiritual, not religious, (laughs) nothing against religion, nothing against somebody else's way. I'm spiritual, not religious unless my religion is the eyes.
0: what uh if any is, are the spiritual similarities between acting and preaching or ministering
1: that's huge we could spend 40 minutes on that alone <laughs> well no 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 i mean it, it's funny because in you know in my foray into professional ministry you know um I've worked with Methodist pastors, Catholic priests, Episcopal priests, and one of the interesting thing about Catholic priests, at least the ones that I know, is that in seminary, theater was required. Interesting regardless of what you believe or disbelieve right whatever i'm not trying to dive into that okay but a service is a pageant every service is a pageant Mm -hmm. okay every service is planned in some way or another there's an order of service a sermon is a monologue theater training helps priests communicate for sure i've coached preachers of different traditions and helped them with their messages as a okay. writer yeah I mean, I mean helping them as an editor okay and then helping them deliver well
0: that right? makes sense because it's you're telling a story you're, you're you're telling a story to engage an audience and get them excited about your
1: protagonist. And it all started in caves where somebody had painted pictures and there was flickering light. It was firelight images and a story that was told. That's what a movie theater is. Yeah. We're hardwired for stories. All, right? all the same. It's all the same. It's The question is, really, where do you, where do you do it best, where you feel most comfortable doing it? Um, whatever. Some people think that the key to really being yourself is expanding your comfort zone. And uh, I've done that. Good.
0: You said to me once uh, that it's acting and writing, I can't remember which, uh, is holding up a mirror with an emphasis on the possibility.
1: Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Through Hamlet. When Hamlet wants to put on this play that will.
0: Wherein he'll catch the conscience of a king?
1: Right. And he says, we hold up a mirror. We show virtue its own face, scorn its own feature, words that affect. And um, to me, that's the essence of the work. When you're held down by a stereotype, that is a perversion of the work an absolute perversion the the work is to put something authentic on that page not necessarily a remake of your favorite popcorn film last summer Mm
0: -hmm. the point is to authenticity i think we can open it up if anyone has any questions.
1: Okay, okay. Um,
0: the,
1: can, I, can I say one more thing? Of
0: course. As, as
1: you, as you, you know, there's, there's this great documentary about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, um, What We Left Behind. And uh, they were talking about, uh, uh, some of the actors were talking about working with Avery Brooks uh, when he directed an episode, a particular episode. And uh, and it was like, okay, well, what do you, what do you want us to do? What you know, somebody was begging direction, and he said, "Hold on, just waiting for God to show up." <laughs> but that's what it is. That's what it is. It's, 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 it's the wonderful accident that saves everything. It's, it's a thing you couldn't have planned. It's, you know, it, it it's the magic that you, that you, 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 you know, you've been working on the script, you know, for, you know, for three years. And then suddenly there's this idea that bingo finding you seriously, because, you know, For a while, it became like, am I just writing the, uh, you know, I can't be just writing this for young, bigoted white guys to approve of it, then it's not my script anymore. Right. You know, I've got to find a way to communicate this thing, to bulletproof this thing, to idiot-proof this thing. And I found you.
0: I will suss out the idiots for you every time.
1: <laughs> You're the best, Heidi. I mean, you know, it, 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 let me say this. Let me say this. I mean, when I was at Star Trek, I wasn't there for people to be my writing coaches. I wasn't there for people to be my, my script consultants. That's entirely separate from this, okay? I have had some script consultants and some script coaches if I'm not going to name them because some of their names are not. The point is, you're the best. Thank Let's you. go take some questions.
0: yes why Why is it as a writer that sometimes the best approach to an audience is in through the back of the mind? and sometimes it's direct, like saving private ryan and 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 directly into the mind. why Why is that?
1: That, that's a, a, a bloody brilliant question, okay? Uh, I really do. I think it's a, that's an absolutely brilliant question. And I think it depends on what you're dealing with and when. Timing from every documentary and interview that I've ever seen about the China syndrome, What saved that film and made it an instant classic was Three Mile Island. How could you have planned that?
0: Mm.
1: How could you have planned that, right? You couldn't, you couldn't. I mean, here was this danger that was always there. But then this spectacularly potential tragedy happens. And now the China Syndrome. Is a classic it's the film about nuclear power nuclear energy right? so in that situation being direct worked perfectly for the filmmakers because of the timing of fate <laughs> i'm not sure they could have known when they started the film that it was going to wind up being as significant i mean a great film yeah i mean you, i mean you got a great script great producer director cast blah, blah blah you're going to have a great film will it be an instant classic will it win oscars will it be you know great at the box office you couldn't have known that until three mile island if you had tried in 1966 to make a television series that directly dealt with all the racism that was going on in America and put it on a naval ship. Would that series still be going on now? No. But you put it on the star, you put it on the starship enterprise. And here's the genius. Here's the genius. You make Uhura a human, because we no longer have racism, but that green-blooded, pointy-eared Vulcan, who, you never know what he's up to. He was the N-word on the show. That's the brilliance of it, is that you make Nichelle Nichols so perfectly acceptable that, as a character, she just fits in.
0: Yeah. That's the beauty of sci-fi; is it allows you to obliquely address things that we're not ready to actually talk about as a society. Exactly. exactly. It's it's a metaphor. Why, I,
1: as a child growing up watching that show, to me, the black person on the bridge was Spock, not Uhura. <laughs> Spock, was my experience, not Uhura. Interesting. Yeah. OK, that's the believe, brilliance of
0: this. I believe Spock would say fascinating.
1: Fascinating.
0: That was a very satisfying answer. Thank you.
1: <laughs> you got to turn to yourself, buddy. You got to turn to yourself. You got to find for yourself the way for you. You got to find your own way. You Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Faith. I'm not talking about religion. Okay, I'm not talking about religion. You have to believe in yourself, in what you've got, what your mission and purpose is, and do not let anything turn you around. There it is. Okay, it doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight, it doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. I wish you did. It doesn't mean that. Okay. But what you got to do is you got to decide that, that and, and, and let me approach this really from a very professional standpoint, you got to decide what your place in this industry is. Okay. Not just, not just that you want to act, write, direct or make films or whatever, but, what are you going to contribute? Do you understand? What are you going to contribute? What's your contribution to the craft, to the audience, to the world? So once you figure out your mission and purpose, yours, not somebody else's, not what somebody did last summer in summer stock on Broadway or on a screen. But what is your contribution going to be? You figure that out. You focus on it. You believe in yourself, your mission and purpose. You devote your life to it. My experience says that works.
0: Karen asks, uh, besides Star Trek, Michael, what would be your dream role? Oh,
1: that's interesting. <laughs> okay. The the first answer is Martin Luther King, but I've already played him in a film that I made. So um, the next answer, <clears throat> let me get a little closer to the mic. I am your father, Luke.
0: <laughs> I, I was trying to resist the temptation to be like, no, you guys check out my friend Michael. He's totally James Earl Jones. I swear uh, to God. I, I,
1: listen, I have every intention of taking over that role one day. <laughs> every intention.
0: I can totally see it. I love
1: it. Uh, I've, great... I've been. I have been studying that. I, you know, for me, and I don't mean this to 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 be a negative toward anybody, but for me, Darth Vader. is the voice of James Earl Jones and the body of David Proud. I've been practicing that talk and that walk since I was in high school. Wow. Okay, I've been preparing for that role my entire life. (laughs) Darth (laughs) Vader, to me, is the coolest guy in the world. (laughs) well the coolest villain
0: right I was going to say because you you once said to me that yeah you like to play evil so that you never want to be it
1: well now okay now hang on a second let's understand understand something about Commander Sorol Sorol isn't evil he's just misunderstood Of course. so let's understand that (laughs) we moved that off the table he's just misunderstood but uh, uh, Vader is evil I mean and Well, and... No, Vader's not evil. Vader is the war between good and evil. That's what Vader is. And I think that's what makes him so fascinated, you know? And it's not only his incredible power, but it's that he is constantly warring within himself. You know, When you have the ability to be whatever you want to be, right, that you can really do whatever you want to do, sides of yourself are going to war. Mm -hmm. That's what Vader is. I think he's a fascinating character.
0: But I think you'd make a splendid Darth Vader.
1: Well, I appreciate that. But let's understand that Sirol is just misunderstood. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) If I get into a Star Trek writer's room, when Sirol has got the Enterprise in the asteroid, when they've been sealed in the asteroid, why do they get away? I have an answer. I mean, Why does the wrong get away? I mean, no, no. Oh. The moment that they're sealed in, he ought to destroy the asteroid, and that's right. it.
0: Yeah, I think Why he, does he not do it because he enjoys that that uh, Picard was able to solve his his puzzle kind of, and he's got some respect for him. No,
1: I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying I have a storyline. Okay. <laughs> I have a fascinating story. Okay. Which I'm not revealing here.
0: I wouldn't ask. I wouldn't dream. (laughs)
1: Because maybe we'll write this from from scratch together. (laughs) Sounds
0: good. Well, I think that's a wonderful note to wrap up on. Very good. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for sharing your soul and your heart with us. I love talking with you and I just appreciate so much that you were willing to come on and share with us.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure.
0: When Nagi Cox was born in Bangalore, India, she couldn't have imagined that she'd one day have an asteroid named after her. This space-obsessed kid grew up in Kansas City and Kuala Lumpur. Her experiences as a girl in a multicultural household showed her how easily we separate ourselves based on gender, race, or nationality, and inspired her to do something that brings people together. Now, as a tactical mission lead on the Mars Curiosity rover and an international and TED Talk speaker, McGee loves to share the wonders of space with the world. Join us. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept-to-pages writing courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, check out PageCraftWriting.com at PageCraftWriting on Instagram, and at PageCraftWrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from PageCraft. Thanks for listening, and stay well.